0: That was really, really good. And eight, welcome to I Am Music. Can we give, uh, Adrian, this was your first night, right, on a Wednesday night. It's yeah. Awesome, awesome. If, you know, I haven't plugged him in a while, but if you are interested, I Am Music meets 6 to 8 on Tuesday nights. And uh, was it super scary, Adrian? No. No, you can come up. You can learn. Some of you guys have talents, like Joseph, and hide them in a box. And you need to come and sing and join us. It'll be really good. Yo, go do it. He knows. He's like, Sean. I can't believe you. You can't. I have, on good recognizance, Joseph is an excellent singer, and I've talked to him. He's going to come at some point. Joseph will be here. He will be part of this. So uh, I'm excited. Tonight is night two. Of our series the mind of Christ on Paul's letter to the Philippians and if you'll remember it's it's been it seems at least to me it seems like it's been a really long time ago Uh, it's been a long couple of weeks Uh, we were talking and we kind of opened up our study emphasizing that context is critical and we talked a little bit about the context uh, if you guys remember, I said, you're on fire, and then we talked about all the different things that that, that could mean. So, like, what are you really trying to say? And that's kind of what we looked at, is, is what was surrounding the book of Philippians. And we kind of, we looked and we said, well, it's it's written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, it was addressed to the church at Philippi, which was in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. Uh, and and uh, it was it was a, it was a church of Roman uh, settlement and that it was written not just by the Apostle Paul but it was written by the Apostle Paul when he was in prison for his faith in Rome he was locked up for being a Christian okay uh, and you know I, I say it was he was written by the Apostle Paul and that it was this letter and it's got all this immediate context that's important for us to understand uh, you know, but I kind of try to make a point of this every time uh, that we kind of talk about the author of the book. And it is true that Paul uh, was the instrument that God used to record this letter to the church at Philippi that we get that's called this book of Philippians. But it's, it's more than that. If you go to the picture of the ark, please, the, the, the ark kit, there we the ark kit, go back, hey! Alright, so yes, God used Paul to write this, but you got to understand, uh, you know, there's a pencil over here, and, and we got some kind of uh, paint over here, It's more paint over there, and we got markers. And what I want you to catch is, do you, do you know that when I draw with a pencil, it looks different than when I draw with a marker? All right, it does, right? Like a marker's got certain characteristics and if that marker's blue, it's got certain characteristics and if I use a a, a yellow number 2 pencil, it looks one way. If I use one of them black beauties or a charcoal pencil, it uses a, another way. In other words, they're they're still exactly what they are. I mean, if I use the pencil or a, a paint it, it doesn't change what it is. It's it's exactly that. And so God uses men. What are you confused about? Let me finish talking. If if God uses men the way that we would use instruments in an art kit to record his word. So when we say, yes, Paul is the author, that is true. In God's hands, God used Paul the way that you and I might use a pencil to record his word to us in the book of Philippians. And and the reason it's so important is because, like, if I went to a masterpiece, Van Gogh's Starry Night, and I looked at that masterpiece, and I said wow is it you're awesome blue how about yellow you are so cool and man there's this little burgundy you're amazing you'd be like and if i went to the museum and that's what i did is i stood there and pointed out the colors and how great they were and started talking about how amazing the colors were you'd be like are you an idiot vincent van Gogh painted that right There's an artist that was behind that, and he used paint, and he used colors, and he textured that up and made this beautiful masterpiece. And what I want you to see is that in the same way that Van Gogh or some artist who creates some masterpiece using all these different instruments, all right, these different things, and and blue keeps its shades, and yellow, all these different things, they're they're, they're still what they are, but there's an artist driving it behind in the same way. We get God's Word because He is speaking into the hearts of holy men that He has driven. And that's not just me saying that, literally, Second Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 21, it says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the reason I try to emphasize this, anytime we come up to this idea of who's the author of the book, somebody's gonna come up to you at some point in your life if you stand up and say you're a Christian and that's gonna be who you are you're a Christian and they're gonna say something dumb like this like hey how do you believe that Bible Adrian don't you know that was written by just a bunch of men that's what they're gonna say that is exactly what the world will say. And some of you are laughing because you've actually heard people say that or you may even think that well That's not entirely true. Yes, God used men to write it, but those men were holy men directed by him. It was God recording his word through those people, the same as when an artist grabs his pencil. Do you understand? So Paul was the instrument God used to bring us that book of Philippians, bring us the book of Romans, bring us lots of stuff. But understand, and and Paul, you know, he had his own characteristics. He had his time in history. He was a, a sharp number two pencil, right? That he is who he is, the same as that pencil is what it is. But understand, it's God directing his heart, recording these words at this time. We talked about why the book of Philippians was written. A, Paul wanted, in the immediate sense, Paul wanted to thank the church, he wanted to inform the church. Of his circumstances, what was going on in his life. He wanted to address division within the church, and Paul wanted to warn the church about false teachers that were already beginning to creep into this church that God used him to help establish. Uh, We talked about the theme of the book, and we said Philippians is primarily a practical book on living a Christian life, which is really good for you and I to look at this book because you're going to say, Oh, I'm a Christian. Jesus has a lot to say about what that means and how we should live our life. And the book of Philippians provides us a lot of information on practicality, what it means to live life as a Christian in this world. Philippians, amazingly enough, here Paul is writing again in prison. And Philippians, amazingly enough, in spite of that, emphasizes joy. The joy is a central theme of this book, and and lastly, it provides some of the most profound teaching on the character of Christ, on who Jesus, what's he like. All right, what we are told in Scripture is God is conforming, transforming us, making us like Him. And this book provides a really, really good picture of what Jesus was like, what his character was like. And when I see uh, those characteristics in me growing, I mean, that's the most encouraging thing in the world. And maybe I look at those characteristics and I don't see any of that, and I may have to scratch my head and say, well, what's going on here? Maybe I need to evaluate, am I really following this Jesus? Do I really know who Jesus is? God bless you, Mary. We talked about the word grace And what that means, and I love that definition that come out of Strong's for Blue Letter Bible, of the merciful kindness by which God, exerting His holy influence upon souls, turns people to Christ, keeps and strengthens, increases them in the Christian faith, the knowledge and affection, and He kindles them to the exercise of Christian virtue. That is, that God's grace not only is something that we talk about in terms of salvation, that we're saved by God's grace, but it is the fuel. It is, it is every day uh, the fuel I need to live a life like Christ is a gift of God's grace. Every single day, he empowers me through his Holy Spirit, and it's a gracious gift of God's goodness to help me walk through and, 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 and grow in my relationship with Christ as our faith grows. We talked about the word peace, and, and, and really of Christianity, the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ, and fearing nothing from God, content. And this is the thing content with its earthly lot, whatever that looks like, of whatever that is. And that is the idea that, that our godly peace, when God says, I am giving you peace, what that means is it's, an, it's something that is not rooted in outward circumstances. All right? In our world, when we think of peace, we think of, oh man, we want to have peace on earth, nobody fighting and everybody getting along. That's not, godly peace says it doesn't matter what's happening out here. I've got peace in here and the reason I have it is because godly peace is rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, in who he is and what he's doing in my heart and of course Paul does emphasize Jesus in that one sentence that first that first sentence and that's all we talked about last week was one sentence Paul and Timothy, servants of the Lord Jesus Christ to the church at Philippi, the deacon, or the church of Philippi in Christ Jesus, the deacons and the overseers. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Three times in just one sentence he says Christ Jesus' name because he is emphasizing the centrality of Christ in our faith, that he is all in all. Now, why does it all matter? And we talked about it. A, the book of Philippians is intended to help us live Christ-like lives. And we, how can you live a Christ-like life if you don't even know who what Christ is like? All right, It helps us understand what that looks like and what that's going to look like in our lives. And uh, a, again, the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. He's our example. And most importantly, for you and I today, for people in here that has say, oh, well, I I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Well, that's awesome. Romans says if you Confess Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, believe in your heart, God raised you from the dead, you shall be saved. But he doesn't, that isn't just like you flip a switch. No, you got a whole life to live. All right, and Jesus Christ is the source of power so that we can live those Christ-like lives. And he's with us every step of the way to help us do that. So this week, we transition to the next part. Paul's identified himself and he's identified his audience. Right at the very hey, this is it's Paul and Timothy. You guys know us, we planted the church there, and we're talking to you, church in Philippi. And now we transition. We pick it up in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. We just recited it a few minutes ago, so here we go. I thank God, thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now so Paul begins and understand now let's not forget where Paul is as he's writing this Paul is in prison All right, we're gonna find out later in another book uh, that at one point uh, during this imprisonment he's gonna be sentenced to get fed by lions and God's gonna free him from that he's actually gonna escape Rome at this at that time But as he, this is what, I just want you to picture the kind of prison situation that is going on. All right, this is not a a good situation that Paul is in. And Paul is sitting around in prison saying, you know what? Today, I am thankful for you, Philippians. I am thankful for you. And he begins talking about this church and he, he says man I'm, I am I am thankful for you I thank God in all my remembrance of you in other words not only am I thankful for you church my thankfulness is an act of worship to God I have you ever had somebody say thank God for you have you ever felt that in your life for somebody where somebody has impacted your life and you thought God, thank you for putting that person in my life right now. I needed that person right now. Thank you, God. I hope so. I hope so. I got lots of people like that. Paul says, I thank God for you, church. It's an act of, act of worship. He's got his hands up, but it's not. I, love, I loved this picture when I was thinking of this, this idea of being grateful. And it's funny, when you search stock images, right, for gratefulness or gratitude. It is amazing how many of these just on a regular stock image page, this ain't a Christian resource, but how many of these images revolve around Christian themes? Fascinating, man. It's, it's almost like we got a lock on this thing, I'm telling you. Uh, but it isn't, this isn't really a good picture of Paul's gratitude. That's really the next one. He again, he's in prison. He's suffering, and he's even then thanking God for the church in Philippi, in the face of suffering, thanking. And, and why? What, Paul identifies why. He says, for your, because of your partnership in the gospel. In other words, you've been with me. He says it right there in the, in the actual verse. He says, you've been with me since the beginning. And I am thankful for your partnership that I know you and we have worked together. Next slide. And and man, I am grateful to God that as uh, he has sent me out into this world to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, you've been right there with me, supporting me and helping and encouraging this ministry. (coughs) Excuse me. And it just, it made me think of this verse. You know, here's Paul. He's locked up in jail. And he is so thankful for these people. And why? Because, man, they've they've worked together. They're unified. And, and man, there's this verse that Jesus says. This is the words of Jesus Christ. In John 13, 35, he says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And what I hear, And what I want you to hear, I want you to hear the heart of Paul. I thank God for you for partnering with me in the gospel. What is Paul really saying? Man, thank you people for loving me. And I love you. And when I pray to my God, I thank him for him putting you in my life. And when Jesus says, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another, when I look at Paul, and I look for his care in the Philippians. And his, his expressed care, that they reciprocated that, that both of them. I mean, you can see what that looks like. You can see love, right? I mean, I'm not just making that up. Can you guys hear it as Paul's communicating? I thank God for you. I thank God for you. It's a beautiful thing, this, this church that God is building. Let me tell you something. I got a lot of messages last week. A lot of messages. I got a lot of people that reached out. Hey, Sean, how are you doing? Hey, Sean, how is your family? Hey, Sean, can we do anything for you? Hey, Sean, are you getting any better? I mean, every day. I can tell you every single one of those people that did that Everyone, not one outside of that were connected to my church family. Not one person outside of that was blowing up my phone asking how I was doing, asking how little Shaw was doing as he's sitting there moaning sick. This is a rough week, rough. And it was my church family showing me that kind of love. The kind of love you see here between Paul and the Philippians, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful gift. And man, you you just see it. It's just pouring, oozing, oozing in Paul's greetings. And then he continues. Philippians 1, 6, one of my favorite verses. And I am sure of this, Paul says to the church in Philippi, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, look, church, with certainty, all right, the God that I serve that has began this good work. And, and man, I I talk about this good work all the time. He says he's going to finish it. In other words, God always. He always finishes what he starts. God doesn't do anything halfway. He doesn't have any loose ends. And Paul says, I am certain. Philippians, that the good thing that God began doing in you, He will bring to completion. And man, if you're a Christian and you're going through, I don't think that necessarily every day the Philippians got up feeling that way. There's some days where you walk through this life and you feel kind of discouraged, don't you, Carrie? And it's not because of stuff happening up there, it's because you look in the mirror and you see stuff going on there and you're like, oh gosh. And Paul is saying, don't don't let that stuff get you down. The good work that my God began in you, he will bring to completion. And what is this work? What is it? I get to talk about it this weekend. I'm really excited. I get to preach Sunday, and and it's nice John gets to let me. But here it is, Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 29. Those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of God of His Son. What's the good work God begins in you? I'll tell you right now, the moment that you confess the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you surrender your life, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you like a seed and it begins transforming you, making you a little more like Jesus. And some days it may not look that way, but over the whole big picture, when I zoom out, I'll tell you right now, the Sean Ratcliffe that said, Lord, I hear your voice, is not the same dude that's standing in front of you today. He's growing me. And nope, I'm not perfectly loving like Jesus. I do not get everything right. I'm far, far, far from perfect. But understand, he's still growing me, and he'll keep growing me, and he's growing you. And he was growing the church in Philippi. And Paul's saying, you see that good work he's doing? You see these things? He's going to complete it. It's encouraging. Very, very encouraging. It's a reminder that God is faithful. Again, he doesn't do anything halfway. He's not leaving loose ends. Sometimes you and I can say, oh, I'll take care of that. And what do we do? We don't take care of it. How many times have you looked at your parents and said, Oh, yeah, I'll take care of that mom or I'll clean my room. And, and then, and you, that didn't happen. Anybody, just me? Am I the only dude that's ever done that? Yeah, yeah. Kate, like, raised both hands. He's like, yo! I, I know. God's not like us, He does not do anything halfway, He is faithful to complete what he has began and man that is for us it's encouraging. And why is it, you know, that the big question is, you know, wow, man, that's a quite a statement that you could say, Paul, that you have full assurance that God is going to complete the good work. But he doesn't just stop there. He actually tells us why. He says Philippians chapter 1 verse 7, "It's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace." both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. What is is Paul saying? He's saying, look, I see the work that God is doing in you, and that's why I can be sure of it, because nobody can do what you're doing apart from God. So I'm encouraged. I have confidence that God's going to... He began a good work. He's going to complete it. And it just reminded me, and I I know I've... We've we've talked through this verse several times in the last six months. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. And again, this is Jesus. The words of Jesus, clear as day. He says, I am the vine, the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. In other words, he makes it better, that it may bear more fruit. And and Jesus says, already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. He says, abide in me. You need to stay connected to me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. And we got this picture, I've used this before, of this, this branch grafted into the vine and understand the vine is the source of life for the branch. If the branch is removed from the vine, the branch dies. It can't, it can't grow grapes, right? Because it's not connected to anything. And Jesus says, I am the vine. You must stay connected to me. And if you stay connected to me, you'll bear much fruit. As a matter of fact, we're told specifically in Scripture to kind of look around, to, to evaluate ourselves. I know nobody's like, they're like, oh, God says don't judge. No, 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 he says judge rightly. Like, we should be able to look and tell, hey, am I producing Christ-like characteristics in my life? And if I can see the evidence of God's work in my life, man, that's super encouraging. When I see the evidence of Christ at work in the life of Bella, man, I get excited. When I see that in Sarah or Molly, when I see it in Miriam Tenney, I get excited. It's affirming. I can say, you know what? I see what God's doing there, and yeah, I got some confidence that what God began in you, he's going to do, and Paul's saying, look, I see you, church, I see the way God is working and moving in your life, and yeah, I've got a right, I've got, as a matter of fact, I've got every reason in the world to be excited and say, yes, it is exactly right that I would say That what God began in you, He's going to complete. I see the fruit on the tree. Now, conversely, would you if the fruit's not there? Now that's a different thing. That's cause for concern. And my goodness, if you've got breath in your lungs and you look in the mirror and you say that I am, the fruit's not there. Then maybe it's time to examine am I connected to the vine? Because if I'm connected to the vine, there's some fruit growing. But if I'm not, I can't fake it. It's not there. And if I got breath in my lungs, God's saying, you've got time to call out to me and get connected. Sometimes we've got to look in the mirror, and we got to look right in the eyes, and we've got to deal with that guy staring back at us. We need to really look at that, 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 that guy or gal, and we need to say, hey, what do I see? God, help me see what I should see. He puts people in our lives, this church. That's what he's doing through Paul to the Philippians. Paul's saying, I see, I do see. He says, I know you, I see you, and I see the fruit that God is producing in you. And that's how I know that the good work God began. A Matter of fact, I'm gonna tell you, there is no greater compliment in the world that you can receive or I can receive, or John can receive, or Dosha can receive, then this. I see Christ in you. When we can look at somebody, for heaven's sakes, man, I was thinking about Gene. I, every once in a while he just pops in my head and I smile. And man, that was one of those guys that man, I could just see the love of Christ oozing from this guy, man. And I could see. I want that for all of us. And man, when I see that, I, I got no, there's no uh, questions, is there, John? When I die, who am I going to see? Gene's going to be there. I don't have to doubt that, okay? There's no, I'm not, I'm not going to get up there and be like, where's he at? No, that's not how it works. He's there, all right? One day, Bob and Dosha, I'm going to see Bob and Dosha there. I may beat him there <laughs> at this point, as sick as I'm getting, but I'm, we're, we're going we're to see each other. You know, you can see The evidence in their life. And Paul's saying, look, Philippians, I see the evidence. And I guess my challenge, I I mean, I'm telling you, get real with yourself. Talk to the people around you. They'll get real for you. That's always real fun. Do they see Christ in you? Do you see Christ in them? Do you even know who Christ is so that you would recognize him in another person? Big questions. Big questions to consider. He continues, Philippians 1, 8-11. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer. So, I mean, he has said a lot of things, and now Paul's going to say, Look, I am praying for you. I'm not just praying and thanking God for you, but I am praying for this for you. And he says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more again we go back to that verse by this you will know my disciples if you have love he's saying I want you to grow in love with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ that is the day that Jesus Christ returns to judge this world and to call his children home cast everybody else in a different place He says, you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, attached to that vine, to the glory and praise of God. And he says, man, I have the affection. And he uses this word. I want to see your love grow. And this isn't a a worldly sense of the the word love. I love me some French toast. That isn't the kind of love that Paul is praying for. He is praying for our our big fancy church word agape type love. That is Christ-like love. That is unselfish. I want you to listen. I want you to listen. I want you to ask yourself. I'm not going to ask what you're doing. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to ask yourself, Do I want people in my life to love me like this, unselfishly, unfailing, and unending? I don't think there's one person in this room that would say, I don't want that kind of love in my life. And Paul's saying, not only do I want that love for you from Christ, I want that love exuding from you, from others, for others, that you can, they can see that kind of love, Christ-like love, oozing from you. But he doesn't just pray. In our society, we're really good at saying, uh, we want to have the love of Jesus, the love of Jesus. But he doesn't just say love, does he? He says, I want to see your love grow. And I want to see your knowledge grow. Now, did you catch that? Your knowledge. It's how this is a fancy word. Epignosis, precise and correct knowledge. In other words, you need to know some stuff. How in the world are you supposed to know? If I'm called to reflect Jesus but I have no idea who Jesus is, how exactly does that work? I mean if I'm called, let's just say my job uh, tomorrow is to go to the go through life pretending to be Bree, but I have no idea who she is, never met her, don't know anything about her, got nothing. That will not work. If I'm supposed to act like Teddy, I'm supposed to reflect Teddy, never met him, don't know the guy, don't know that is that's probably going to fail, isn't it? It just won't work. We're supposed to know some things. And he says, you need to get to know. He says, I want you to grow in your knowledge. I want you to grow in your knowledge. Grow in your understanding. You know, we come here and we have a good time. And by golly, I hope everybody that walks out of this this church, 212 SEC, I hope they walk out feeling loved. But the reason we work so hard to prepare these lessons is because, man, I hope you learn something let me tell you a couple weeks ago three weeks ago when I was sick again with the stomach thing that wiped me out for five days it blessed me to hear that Jason White was able to jump in and quiz you guys on Moses and start asking you guys questions about Moses because you know what the report is I got you guys had answers (laughs) and man, that, that blesses my heart to know that you're growing in your knowledge you learn some stuff you should alright are uh, you gonna spend all your time you know playing minecraft and trying to learn how to make fire reverence or whatever it is and and all these different codes the arc and all this crazy stuff like you're gonna pursue that knowledge for heaven's sakes Jesus Christ died on the cross to give you eternal life you ought to learn a little bit about that, that ought, you ought to be hungry for that kind of knowledge all right? But he doesn't even stop at knowledge. He says, he goes on, he says, discernment and understanding. In other words, it's not just what you know, but do you know how to apply what you know? There's knowledge, and then there's the application of knowledge. It's this word, isthesis, perception, cognition, but it's really the application of knowledge, it's wisdom. All right, it's one thing to know that every action has an equal and opposite reaction. It's another thing to be able to apply that knowledge and build a battering ram that tears down a castle wall, okay? And use math to figure out how to do that or to make me a death ray, right, Bob? There's a difference between having knowledge and being able to apply it. Way big. It's really easy to have the knowledge that Jesus came uh, and, and wants me to live a life of love, but actually being able to do that, and put that into practice, that's a whole separate thing. There's a difference between information and application. Paul wants you to be full of love, he wants you to have knowledge, but he wants you to be able to apply that knowledge in a useful way. And that is his prayer. That is his prayer for this church. And it's not the first time he's going to say something like this. Colossians chapter one verses nine through twelve. This is what he says: "From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you." So here he goes; he's praying for people again, asking that you be filled with knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom. And what do you think he's going to say? Understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing. "...to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. It's the same prayer. It's the same prayer. I want you to grow in your knowledge. I want you to grow in your understanding, your discernment, your wisdom, your application of that. Now, I want you to grow in your love. And, man, to the praise and glory of God. So, what is this? I want you to think about it. As I understand God's love for me, all right, as I understand, as I learn, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You guys have heard the song, right? As I begin to understand God's love for me, the application of that knowledge means that I reflect his love to those around me, and it does something. Sure, it makes me feel good. It feels good to love people. It feels good when people love you. Again, unfailing, unen- I mean, come on. We want that kind of love. We, we want that. The world's dying for that. All right, that, that is a good thing. But it does something else. It's not just the immediate sense. It produces thanksgiving and praise to God. That is, when I say, "Carrie, man, dude, thank God for Carrie." He, called, he, he checked in on me a couple times last week. Thanks for loving me, brother. It meant a lot. It really did mean a lot. And I thank God to have somebody in my life. Like I said, it, look, it wasn't Uncle Joe or, or my biological mom. My biological, none of those people checked on me. Do you understand that? My blood family did not call last week and say, hey, Sean, how are you doing? They, it was my church family. Those are the people that checked in to see how I was doing, that care, And yes, I thank God for you. It produced thanksgiving to God, literally. And when you think of some of the people that have helped you in this church at different hard times in your life. Whether you'll say it straight faced or not, you thank God for them, too. So what's the point? What's the point? The good work God is doing in the hearts of Christians, which is namely growing us to be more and more like Jesus, reflecting His light and love to one another. When we see that, okay, that should be a sign of encouragement to all believers. Do you understand? It should be encouraging. When I see Christ-like love in Nancy, man, that's encouraging to me. And when she says, hey, Sean, that was really nice what you did there, I see Christ, man, that, that is encouraging all right, Because I don't always get it right. It's nice when something comes, shows up. It's encouraging. It's also unifying. It unifies us in the church. It really does. Because, man, I do got a church family that I love and depend on. And just like love does that, guess what? So does knowledge, man. We, we can look at the scriptures and see, man, that's a unifying thing. When we begin understanding that application, we say, hey, man, let's go do this. You know why? Because I was reading this, blah, blah. Man, that's unifying. It actually builds and strengthens us as a family. These things work together to grow us as a body of Christ and make us strong together. And it produces gratitude and praise to God in, the lives, in our lives personally and in the lives of those around us. Even people. Man, there are people in my town that I have prayed for like at a gas station. Do You understand that, seriously, i the weirdo that, you know, somebody's having a hard time, they say, can I pray for you? And man, that person may not know Christ at all, all right? I may never have that conversation with them again, but in that moment, even that person who may not know Christ, they were thinking, God, that somebody actually cared and loved them. There might, who knows who's seen that? Not that that's why you're doing it, but who knows what that did to them? Had a great conversation. I had to take Caden in for a physical for his basketball. Man, I spent almost an hour. I did not want to leave the doctor's office because I met this fantastic guy at Urgent Care at Mercy in Washington where Payless used to be. His name's Russ. He is a, the, the physician's assistant there, and he is a rock-solid Christian. I could have talked to that dude for hours. I mean, I had a hard time getting out of there. The last thing I did before we left was pray for that guy, that God would use him right where he's at because, man, he, he was just a good dude, man, you could just tell. Uh, That is the unity of the faith, the church growing together. Why does that matter to me, though? Sitting in the chair. If I'm you, all right, why does that matter? Well, first of all, again, it's encouraging. It should be encouraging as you see these things growing in your life, and it should be as well as encouraging you to pursue continued growth. In other words, man, when I see those good things and I can kind of look around and see how God used me there, man, that feels good. Uh, How many of you guys were encouraged helping somebody out? How many people have been on a mission trip or done a service project, a community service project? How did that feel down in Ninos, New Mexico? How does it feel seeing the kids smile at the back to school fair? That encourages you. You'll take a little more of that, won't you? As a matter of fact, you'll go out of your way, plan your entire summer around those things because, yes, it's great that we get to help people, but man, helping people helps you too. I promise every time. It's encouraging, it's good for your soul. The big one there is tremendous, I want you to, tremendous value in godly relationships, and in the power of the unified church. Paul sat in a Roman prison. you got to understand, if I read Timothy, that exactly what he says, God, save me from the mouth of the lion. Now, he's saying that as he's about to be killed by Nero when he's arrested the second time in Rome, but he's referring back to this first imprisonment. This is serious stuff, but what is Paul doing? Is he basking in a cell, boo about his circumstances? Absolutely not. He's praising God that he's got the opportunity to be there so he can testify to the gospel, to the the Roman emperor that is going to send him to go talk to the lions, and he's praying about this church that he planted and praising God and thanking them for the impact that they've had on him. What kind of strength is that? I mean, if you really wanted to tell your story, in other words, you were sitting down and you were writing a story, would you want to write a story where you were a wimp curled up in a ball? You want to be that guy. I don't care what's going on around me. I'm, I'm ready. You know, <laughs> Paul's not out of control here, is he? He's, he, is, he is still in charge in the Lord, even though the circumstances look terrible. Man, he's still going strong. I don't know about you. I would much rather that be my story than the, the mopey little baby story. Oh, things are going my way. No, 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 no. And it's the power of the church. Ter- I want you to see Christ at work in Paul's heart and Christ at work in these godly relationships that are helping encourage him and making that possible. It's not that Paul was just some great dude. I'm not saying he wasn't a great dude, but man, it, that wasn't enough. We're not great enough. We need each other. You and I. The church. We need each other. I'll be honest, I sat discouraged last week several times. You know what I kept coming back to is oh, this passage on Romans I'm going to talk about, about God working all things for good. And God, I don't even understand how. I don't understand how this is going to be good. I'm telling you, looking at eight month old baby Shaw moaning because he's going through the same body aches that my wife and I are going through that got us in tears for three days that messes with your head. And yet, God is working all things for good for those called according to his purpose, even that thing. And man, having a a John and a Carrie and a Bob and Dosha and people reaching out and checking in on you, man, it just encourages you, gives you the strength that even in the face of that suffering, you can see the power of the church and the power of Christ pouring into you and giving you strength to keep going just a little bit further down the road. Here we are. I'm probably going to wash my hands a lot because I don't want to get sick again. But here I am, man. I'm excited to see you guys. I missed you. I missed you. I actually miss you. I want you to look around at these leaders. Kids, I want you to look at your leaders. These people love you. Do you realize last night we sat in a meeting. We have a leaders meeting, second Tuesday, every month. And you know what they talked about? They prayed for you because they love you and they want to see you grow. And they want to see you thrive and be the children of God he created you to be. They genuinely love you. You may, go to, you may leave here and maybe not everybody's your biggest fan. Maybe not everybody loves you. Maybe not even in your own home do you feel that. But you need to understand right now the people in this room love you. This church loves you. Jesus Christ loves you. And man, they are praying for you. They genuinely care. It's the power that... Man, there is value. There is value in the church. We are not made to go through this life alone. We are made to get through it together. And as Paul is sitting in that prison, he's remembering. He's remembering. He didn't even just remember in the Philippians. He wrote some other books while he was in prison. (laughs) He's remembering. And in The Source of Darkness... He's got strength in Christ, in the church, and for you and me today, we need the same strength each and every day. Pray, Heavenly Father. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, we are excited to continue in this book, and what a neat example to give us in Paul and this church and. And kind of modeling a little bit already, beginning to, you know, we're, we're not quite to where we're talking about you directly, Lord Jesus, but we're already seeing what, what your, your love looks like reflected in your, your church as Paul interacts with these people, as Paul communicates his heart for this little church in Philippi. Father, I pray that you would increase our love our knowledge, our understanding of you. Father, I thank you for each and every person here. I thank you for their families. I I don't believe any of us are here on an accident. We didn't just slip and fall and wind up at this place. You have a purpose and a plan for each and every person in this room, Father, and I pray that you you would help us to understand that. To hear your voice, Father God, that you would you would continue to grow us, to unify us, and that you would send us out into this world to be the lights on the hill, the salt of the world, to, to make the difference that you've called us to make in this community at this time in history. Father, help us to understand what that is. It all begins with understanding who you are. Help us to see you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.